But the disciples, despite those obstacles, continued to proclaim the truth. Now, obviously, with the growing church, that means there was an increase in needs. And so we know that the Spirit knew this, because the Spirit knows all things as God reveals it to it. It was going to need to empower and equip the church and new leaders to offset these burdens to continue to advance the mission of Christ. And so in Acts chapter 6, we hit a very pivotal moment in the history of the church. This is called the choosing of the seven. Acts 6, verse 1 through 4. In those days, when the numbers of disciples was increasing, you know, I love it when that starts to be lived out in our time. And I don't know if you've noticed, but in the DFW church, it has been the days that the church has been increasing. And that's an awesome thing. Now, that can't be the only determining factor that God is with us or that we're with him. But if we're not growing, if we're not advancing the gospel, then something seriously is wrong. But we are excited when we're starting to live out the church. This book was written to exemplify what God's body should be like, live like, and what their purpose is. Amen? However, with the increase come potential conflicts, as we see here very early in the church. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. You know, when we hear that kind of comment, if we've ever been shorted, discriminated, we can start to react, can we not? Just like a lot of the stuff that's on the news today, it it triggers stuff in us. And yet we can miss the beauty of what is right. They were meeting the daily distribution of these needs, where a few had been overlooked. But we forget that they were doing something. What if they were doing nothing? Shouldn't there be more complaint? However, as as a group grows, so too are the needs. And because you're adding more sinners, forgiven ones, amen, more sin is possible in the church. I don't know why sometimes in our religious mindset we think the church is perfect. It's not. It's made up of sinners. God is perfect. Jesus is perfect. His spirit is perfect. We are not. But he's perfecting us through all those things, amen? So... The twelve gathered all the disciples. Now, that, that's profound right there, because at this point, we know there's thousands. See, when they saw a situation, they dealt with it very quickly and spiritually. They didn't want anyone to miss the lesson that needed to be learned here. I think it's so important for us, guys, that we don't overlook issues. That we've got to be quick, unified and then come up with solutions. And so we see that happen as the Spirit is leading the apostles, leading the early church. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, again, if we've been hurt in any way, discriminated in any way, left out in any way, we could hear that wrong. It's... It's, it's beneath them to wait on tables. That's not what it says. 
But it's funny how we can interpret things based off our own experience. No, it says it would not be right to neglect the ministry of the word. It didn't say it would not be right to wait on tables. But in other words, we're starting to see a challenge that comes with a growing church, just as there is with a growing family. There are different roles and responsibilities. And if we don't handle those roles correctly, it can cause more damage than good. And ultimately, these distractions could prevent the purpose of the church in the first place, which is to advance the gospel. So what do they do? Brothers, choose seven men from among you. Did you catch that? They didn't decide it. They said, together we need to do this. Together we need to figure this out. And if you're the ones who are feeling this the most, you're the best one to help us figure it out. In other words, guys, every one of us is important to the unity of the church. It's not just the leaders. It's everyone is important to the unity and the mission of the church. Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Very important points, and we'll get back to that in a minute. We will turn this responsibility. See, it's not something less. It's not something beneath them. It's a responsibility. It's something important. But it was more important for someone else to be doing it than for the apostles. Any member can serve. But could every member preach the word with the power of the Spirit as the apostles were given from Jesus? No. They needed to be focused on their role, and others need to step up to fulfill theirs. Amen? It says, we will turn this responsibility over to them, And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. You know, I don't know about you, maybe that's challenging to you, but for me as a minister, this is one of the more challenging verses in the book of Acts for me. Especially knowing my personality. I tried to do everything. Yeah, see, some of you are going, yeah, yeah, we know you. Okay, some of you don't know that, but I, I try to spin a lot of hats. But if I continue to do that, then I'm not following the wisdom of how the Spirit led the early church. If I get away doing all these other things, not that they're any less important, but if I focus so much on those things and I get away from what God has equipped me to handle, which is the ministry of the Word and prayer, then it's not going to go in a good direction. And the same is true for you. What is your role? What is God needing you to do? Are you doing the wrong thing? Are you doing the right thing? But every need will be met if we all fulfill the roles God has given us. So though the church is divine in its design, its membership is human. We should not be surprised that in God's church on earth, there is going to be problem, conflict, and issues. Amen? The key is not that they exist. They will. The key is, how will we respond to them? We see very powerful example of maturity and spiritual leadership and how the apostles dealt with this. But before we see how they resolved it, let's, let's again address the problems. The first one, the number of disciples was increasing. Now, that's a good problem, okay? But it is a problem because with more numbers come more needs. That's just a reality, so that's the, the, the problem part of it is now with all the increase, there are more needs. Are we going to be able to meet them? 
The second is there was complaining. Yeah, judgment wasn't in the desert with the Israelites. It happened in the early church as well. And I have a good idea that even amongst us, we can complain, right? No, you're too spiritual, right? I guess it's just me that can complain, even in, in, in my life as a Christian. Complaining's a real issue, okay? The third problem is there were feelings of discrimination, even in the church. In this case, it had to do with the difference between the Grecians and the Hebrews being helped. Maybe it's another discrimination you're feeling. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's racial. Maybe it's even social. But we can feel these discriminations even in the church. That leads to another problem. The challenges of comparing and whether there's fairness. That's often due to a feeling of discrimination. Another problem we see is the leadership was doing too much. And I've kind of learned the hard way that when you try to do everything great, you do nothing good. That's just reality. I've learned that the hard way. My wife is the one who's probably helped me the most to not try to do so much stuff, to learn to say no. It's a hard thing to do for some of us. Some of us, we just need to learn to say yes to something. Okay? <laughs> But, but there are those of us that have to learn to say no. Okay, I, I don't want to leave anyone out here, okay? So don't think, oh, yeah, I, don't, I say no to all kinds of things. Yeah, but you need to say yes to something, okay? <laughs> now, because of all those things, what was the, the final problem that we see in the Scripture is major priorities, the ministry of the Word and prayer. And we've got to take that to heart just as a disciple, not just as a leader. Major priority. Ministry of the Word and prayer. I think that's true for every individual disciple, not just for leaders. You know, so often throughout the years, when I meet people in different cities and different countries, and they go, you've been a disciple how long? Yeah, 20 plus years. How? What's the key? It comes down to those two things. Ministry of the Word and prayer. These are crucial. Do not think that if you go and do all these things for the church, but you neglect the ministry of Word and prayer in your individual life, that you're going to do any good. At some point, you'll burn out or you'll be unrighteous in doing it because you're not getting the original source of power. So a major priority was being neglected. But I know there's also another one that's not necessarily stated in this passage, but I know is true. I have a feeling there was one more problem, if not others, a feeling of being unloved. I don't believe it was intentional, but nevertheless, a reality. See, sometimes we're unloving, not because of a lack of a desire to love, but because the urgent trumps what's important. I know this is true in my own life. I'm a kind of person that, once my mind's on something, that's what I'm focused on. And I know I have created feelings of perceived unlove from me. Let me give you an example. Coming into a church service, there's a task I got to get done. So I got to walk through the fellowship. And so many times, because I'm so focused, I can walk through and people can feel, wow, man, he didn't even say hi, he didn't even greet me. It's not because I don't want to love, but it's perceived as unloving. Because the urgent trumped the important. 
This is something I have to work on. And I ask your forgiveness if you've ever felt that. But at the same time, I hope you give me grace to not judge my motives just by what you see. But to come and talk to me if you feel unloved. Because if I am unloving, I need to know so that I can change. I think we need to extend that grace to one another. Because I think so often, you're just unloving. But maybe it's because we're so focused on the urgent, we don't always focus on the important. And I'm not saying that I should continue in that way. Even this morning, I was constantly trying to make sure, even if I had to do something, to stop and look at someone, to stop and talk to them, to put a hand on me, even though I don't have time to talk. But I know I've hurt people's feelings, including my own family, my own children. And so I know that this was some of the other stuff going on because I've seen it in my own life. How about for you? Have you ever been perceived as unloving? Not because you didn't want to be, but because all these other things trumped what was important at the moment. We can always grow on our love, but we also need to make sure we each do our part. Amen? Again, I ask forgiveness if you have felt that I've been unloving. That is not my intention. But will you feel it? Please come talk to me. Let me show you in person that that's not what's in my heart. And if it is, I'll repent. Bring some others along, all right? Because we guys, we don't want to let Satan sneak in and cause this feeling of unlovingness that may not actually really be there. But that's what happens when we spin a lot of plates. In fact, it's funny that during the holidays, which should be the most loving and joyful time, can often be the most stressful and irritating. Right? Okay, put that on the table. We gotta get, get clean that up. We gotta pick that up. Happy holidays, mom. You know what I mean? Right? We, we all are guilty of this. So you can imagine the disciples, the apostles especially, I think we're starting to fill this. And they were willing to take ownership. Guys, the problem is us. We're trying to do too much. We need help. So let's see what takes place. Amen? Because we can't ignore these needs or ignore these issues. Acts, verse six, Acts 6, verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. You know, you may not know this, but I don't think it's a coincidence that the seven men they chose from among themselves, the apostles didn't pick them, from among themselves all had Greek names. Who was being overlooked? So who, in fairness, will defend them best? Greeks. So from among themselves, they presented seven men. But the key, I don't think, is their name. Although I do think it helps. Because the reality is, guys, we all come from different races, backgrounds, economical and social status. And we all have this yearning to be represented. We just do. We can't get away from that. But those outward external things that need to be represented should never trump what's inside a person. Let's remember, what was the qualification? What were the requirements that the apostles said these seven men need to have. It had nothing to do with their names. But it was still pretty wise, I think, to choose seven Greek names to be fair in representing the needs of the Grecian Jews. 
What were the two things that the apostles said were needed for this position of leadership, of servants? You know, some have interpreted this as being the first deacons, but I think it more refers really just to servants. Later we find that more of the title of deacon, but these were just servants. Look at the two qualities. Number one, full of the Spirit. Not some spirit, partial spirit, half spirit, full of the Spirit. That's going to be really crucial as we continue this study. And full of wisdom. I think that's a principle that we don't practice enough in today's society. Wisdom. Our generations of new children have knowledge, but less wisdom. They're overloaded with information. But how much of it is it wisdom? And often, the reality is, because people sometimes go, Derek, you have so much wisdom. I'm like, if you only knew where it came from. All the mistakes I've made. I don't think I have a single wisdom that came from my successes. It usually came from someone else who I'm passing it along or from my mistakes. Now, a wise person learns that from someone else so they don't have to make the mistake to learn it. So, next generation, seek advice. Seek input from those that are ahead of you in life. You can learn a lot from them and spare yourself a lot of pain. Amen? But they were full of the Spirit, and they were full of wisdom. Now, why is that an important principle right there? Before they were selected, they were already full of the Spirit. This is very important to our discussion, because this is a very pivotal moment in the church where God's going to give some very special gifts, the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. But it's also a point that if we're not careful, we can totally misinterpret how that works and how it should be today. There are a lot of denominational faiths that really confuse what we're about to discuss. So I want to take the time, just in this short passage, to explain why this is so important. That even before they were selected, they were already full of the Spirit. Well, they were full of the Spirit, how'd they get it? Through the indwelling of the Spirit, which we talked about in an earlier lesson. This is when someone repents, claims that Jesus is Lord, is baptized for forgiveness of sins, and they receive the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. They were baptized disciples who received the gift of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling. They're full of it. They were given it. Now they're being selected for some new responsibilities. See, up to this point, only the apostles have been recorded of doing miraculous things. No baptized disciple, not even these seven, up to this point, were ever recorded of doing miraculous things. Only the apostles. Let's go through them very quickly to show you that I'm not lying. Acts 2.43. Everyone was filled with all and many wonders, and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Acts 4.16, which is referring to two particular apostles, Peter and John, who had healed the man, the paralyzed man. So they're before the, the Sanhedrin, and here's what they have to say. Verse 16, what are we going to do with these men? It's referring to Peter and John. They ask, every living Jerusalem knows they, Peter and John, have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. Acts 4.33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them. Who is the power with? It doesn't say the power is with the disciples. It doesn't say the power is with the church. It says it was with the apostles. Acts 5.12. The apostles performed 
many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in the Solomon's Colonnade. Who was doing the miracles? Yet there are literally thousands of disciples who were baptized in the name of Jesus, who received the indwelling of the Spirit, and they could do no miracles. Let's read on. Acts 5.15. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter, who's who, who's what? Apostle. Shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. They weren't doing it at the shadow of Stephen at this point. Or the shadow of Philip or Nicanor or any of those guys. Or any other unnamed disciple, which there were thousands at this point. Only at the apostles. See, at this point, thousands of disciples had received the indwelling, but only the apostles had the signs of the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. How did they know that they got the Spirit? Well, Peter told them. Peter replied, Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So yes, these seven men were full of the Spirit, but could they perform miracles? No. See, part of the problem is we think that these miraculous gifts were given at Pentecost. They were not. They were given much earlier than that. Luke 9, verse 1 through 2. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority. And just so you know what kind of power to drive out all demons, and to cure diseases. Does that sound miraculous in nature? Yes. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. The apostles did not receive these gifts at Pentecost. On the falling of the Spirit, as they were proclaiming in tongues. That's not when they got them. They had them before that. All the other disciples, the only Spirit they received was the indwelling. And they were full of it. So something uniquely happens at this moment. And this is key if we're going to interpret it correctly for how should those examples of the miraculous gifts be with us today. And this is where a lot of denominational faiths get it very, very wrong. So let's pay very close attention. In Acts 6, verse 6-7, let's continue the story. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed... And laid their hands on them. That seems very natural, right? You know, we see the the principle of laying on the hands for many things in the Bible. From the old patriarchs, when they would bless their children before they were to pass, they would place their hands on them and bless them. We saw many times in the Old Testament, New Testament, they would lay hands on them and people would be healed. But this is a unique laying on of hands. It may not appear so yet. Just sounds like, hey, here's the seven guys. Guys, come up here, come up here. Got your hands on you. Guys, I want to present these seven men, man. They're awesome. Full of the Spirit. Full of wisdom. That, that's what it would seem like, right? That's all, that's all it is. But look at the result that takes place immediately after the laying on of hands. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. It was increasing right before this. Now it's increasing rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Woo, I'm looking forward to that day. I'd just love someday to see one of these televangelists get up in front of their flock and just go, I've been wrong all this time. I have led people astray. But the truth has been revealed to me and I want to share it to you. I'm waiting. 
It happened then. It could happen now. Right? We've got to believe that. Now, I'll be honest, for a lot of religious people, that's hard. It's hard to admit. I was one of them. I was many different denominational faiths growing up, from Catholic to Pentecostal to Charismatic to Baptist to Assembly to God, you name it, I tried it. And I thought I was a Christian until someone was willing to show me the truth and not just feelings. See, a lot of the Charismatic faith is more about feelings than truth. I can't speak for everyone, but I can speak from my experience. Here I'm like, yes, doing all these crazy little things. I've seen even miraculous things. But if you looked at my real life before God, there was impurity, there was selfishness, there was all these sinful things going on. How could I truly claim myself a Christian? Because I was going off feelings. I felt good on Sunday. But how was I during the week? So we've got to be very careful as we go forward. This is a very pivotal moment. At first appearance, it would seem like a simple just putting their hands on their shoulders and saying... Here's seven great guys. But then look what happens in verse 8. Something happened with the laying on of apostles' hands. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, which he was full of wisdom and the Spirit before the laying on of hands, but now after the laying on of hands, look what it says. Did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Did something change? Yeah. All of a sudden now, he's able to do miraculous things. Did that come from being baptized as a disciple? No. He's already full of the Spirit. But something about the laying on of hands of the apostles gave them the ability. Now, of course, I know some of you are going to bring up, well, what about Paul? Well, remember who met him on the road. Jesus. So Jesus called him as an, an apostle abnormally born. He gave Paul that ability and called him to be an apostle, okay? But up to this point, the only ones who did miraculous signs were apostles until these seven had the laying on of hands. Now, just to make it clear, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit in Acts, and we'll get more detail when we get to that chapter later, but I think this is very important. One of those seven besides Stephen was Philip. So jump to Acts 8, verse 5 through 7. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, what happened to Philip? Same thing as Stephen. The laying on of hands now enabled him to now have the, the, the manifestation of the miraculous gifts. They all paid close attention to what he said. Did you catch that? There's a connection of why those signs were important. Why the Spirit enabled the apostles to pass this gift. It's to affirm how important what they were saying was. Not to show power. Not to bring glory to themselves. Satan uses those to bring glory to himself. God uses to affirm that what's being said is important. How do you know that this guy speaking was really the truth? When the manifestation of those signs accompanied it, that's how you knew. How did you know Jesus what he said was true. The miracles. So the miracles were only meant to be an affirmation that what was being said is important. When they saw the miracles of Philip, they paid very close attention. Too many denominational Christians aren't paying close attention to what we're about to see. With streaks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So now, 
just like Stephen, Philip was able to perform miracles that he previously could not. The ultimate goal, this led to many believing the good news, including a guy named Simon, who had practiced sorcery before that. And we're going to get some very interesting information. Guys, please pay attention to this because this is crucial. Acts 8, verse 13. Simon himself believed and was baptized. Wow. A former sorcerer, who one who did counterfeit miracles and magic. He had a high following even if you read the text. But he was willing to believe and be baptized. Because he probably saw, man, the stuff I'm doing, man, it's fake. Philip, man, he's doing something completely different. I, I, I want to take a look at this. Just because we get believing or baptized doesn't mean everything's fixed here, as we're going to see shortly. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the truth that was being preached about Jesus Christ. No, that's not what it says. It's revealing the heart of Simon. Why was he following Philip? He was astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. See, we've got to ask ourselves, why are we coming to church? Is there a selfish agenda? Or is there a complete surrender to God and His truth to call us to change whatever we need to change? It's pretty clear here that Simon's agenda was a little bit different. He was following because, man, I want to be able to do that. He believed. He was baptized. But the heart's still being tested. And it's being revealed. Let's see what happens. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that might, they might receive the Holy Spirit. Well, wait a minute. What was the original command of, of, of Peter to those who want to follow Jesus? Repent, be baptized, forgive your sins to receive what? The Holy Spirit. They repented, they were baptized, did they receive the Spirit? And yet, they're saying they haven't. I don't think Peter's contradicting the original statement and command. I think he's referring, they haven't received the miraculous gifts. That no one's doing, only Philip. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. Indwelling, coming on you. Wonder how that happens. Wonder how that happens. Wonder how that happens. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, which is a pretty powerful thing, as simple as that may seem. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. It's not new teaching. It's just a new manifestation of how the Spirit was going to work. Only through the apostles laying of hands does that outward coming upon them spirit show itself. And now this is real, 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 real important. Verse 18. When Simon saw that the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands. So what was Simon doing all the time? Wow, Philip, this is amazing. How do you do that? I tried doing this kind of magic, and, you know, I fooled people for years, but I know it's not real. Man, that, I, how are you doing? And he's looking, he's looking. At some point, I bet he's going, Philip, hello? I'm the master of sorcery. Give me this ability. I don't know if he ever asked. It doesn't say. But I have a feeling he did. And Philip couldn't give it to him. Suddenly, now, the apostles come on the scene. Wait a minute, wait a minute. These are the apostles? They're the ones who 
Wait, oh, I'm going to pay attention here. Okay, he lays her hands on. Now they're, now they're able to do it? Oh, I don't need that, Philip. Get away. Peter! Isn't that how we can be? The minute someone's more important to our agenda, we can just discriminate? That's how Satan works. And so he understands only the apostles laying enough hands could give them this ability. And so his heart now gets revealed. He offered them money. Hmm. God, just because we believe and are baptized doesn't mean that everything's right here. Simon didn't ask Philip for this gift. He asked Peter. Of course, Peter confronts them, and you can read the rest of the story. He uh, rebukes them, and we'll get to that when we get to that chapter. But there are some key principles here, as I'm about to close out, that we've learned from this short text. And this is very important because it affects how denominational beliefs today should or should not be practiced. Number one, only the apostles could pass on the gifts, the miraculous, through the laying on of hands. Is that correct? Okay. Second, those who received the laying on of hands and could receive miraculous gifts, we only see the examples of Stephen and Philip, but obviously the other seven may have that ability, but they were not able to pass them on. Is that correct? Simon understood. Philip can't help me. i got to talk to Peter. That leads us to the third and most important fact. So once the apostles die, and those who receive the gifts die, there is no way to transfer the ability. Is that correct? If only the laying on the apostles' hands can pass those miraculous gifts, and they're all dead, then there's no way to pass it on to anyone. And since those who received the gift, even if they were still alive, could not pass it on, once they died, it's over. Now, that does not mean God can't just perform miracles as he chooses and through prayer. But there are many denominational Christians that believe that today we have these gifts. That is impossible. They even lay their hands on them. I was one of them. I was slain in the spirit. No, I just got pushed down. But I really believed I had. But if you looked at my life, I wasn't living according to the truth. See, we get so hyped about the miracles and those things, we don't deal with what's really in our heart. And it wasn't looking good for, for Simon, from what we could see. So guys, if the apostles are the only one who can pass it on, and they're all gone, and all those who received the gifts are now gone, there is no way for that gift to be here through this practice. It was for a very specific time of the church history, and is no longer needed today. That doesn't mean God can't perform miracles doesn't mean that prayer can't move God to do some miraculous things. So then I have a question, because some of you may experience this. But I've seen some. I've even been part of churches where I've witnessed them. You have. So have I. Listen to the Word of God as we close out. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9-10. through 10. Does this contradict what we've learned? No, quite the opposite. It reveals something really scary. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. 
Satan can perform miracles today. And the whole purpose is not to glorify God. It's to deceive us and to help us ignore the truth about where we stand in our righteous state before God. That is what the religious upbringing I was a part of. Oh, I'm with God. I see God. I feel God. Oh, hallelujah. If I had died at any point in that time, I would have gone to hell. Because the truth was not in my life. See, guys, we've got to be careful we don't get hyped about the externals. God wants us to look at the internals. This is a very important principle. Satan is always in confrontation with the truth. He will attack the church both from within and without. But if we keep in step with the Spirit, then we too can learn like the apostles. That even when there is conflict, even when there is discrimination, even when there's a feeling of being unloved, or actual being unloved, we can come together like the apostles and let the Spirit lead us to quickly and spiritually and united together to get back on track and keep to the mission of Jesus Christ. I close you with this. The Spirit led them. The Spirit wants to lead us today. What could be the result if we allow God to choose us? Acts 6 verse 7 as we close out New Living Translation. God's message was preached in ever-widening circles. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Let us go out leaving with allowing the Spirit to lead us. Let's deal with issues quickly, and let's see what God is about to do. Amen? Amen. We're dismissed. Amen. Hmm.